Hey everyone, and welcome to Positively Chaotic. If this is your first time joining us, make sure to subscribe to the Positively Chaotic channel on YouTube. And if you're listening, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. I'm so glad to have you here. And this week, we got the main man, Vinny Pastor from The Sopranos. Vinny's been on some of my favorite movies from Mickey Blue Eyes to Revolver, Carlito's Way and Shark Tale. We discuss everything from gangster life to running nightclubs, growing up in the Bronx, family and so much more. If this inspires you, please share it with a friend or family member and let us know what you think. And if there's someone that you would love to hear on the podcast, go ahead, send me a message or tag me on Instagram. Please enjoy. Okay, everybody, Vinny Pastore is a beloved actor, producer, playwright, and marinara master. You know Vinny from starring in one of my favorite shows, The Sopranos, and countless other iconic films and television series. He has a new podcast called, and I'm sure I'm going to say this perfectly, Forget About It with Vinny Pastore, and I am thrilled to have him here today. Welcome to the podcast, Vinny. How you doing, my man? Uh, it's a pleasure. It's nice to talk to you out in L.A., and uh, like I was talking to you before we started, we have a lot of mutual friends. So yes. make sure you run around and say hello to, you know, Giuseppe Franco and Richie Palmer, all on Cannon Drive. You Every know, one of those names just sound like they're in the mob, like Giuseppe, you know, uh, <laughs> just they happen Giuseppe, to sound like they're in the mob. Well, I don't know. But Giuseppe's from Brooklyn and he's got a, a hair salon on Cannon and he takes care of Mickey Rourke and uh, uh, Schwarzenegger and Stallone. So maybe he is in a mob. Who knows? <laughs> I think the hair salon's called Umberto's and the pizza joint is called Mulberry Pizza. I've been going there 15 years and holy shit, by the slice, that stuff is good, man. It is real good. Good. Now, Richie owes you a free pie for that plug. Done it. Done and done, man. It's so funny. All my years in L.A., 16 years, all I ever hear is, I love your accent. I love your accent. Yet I hear your accent. And I'm like, shit, man, if I could just have a little bit of that East Coast gangster twang, I'd just be perfect. So I'm going to have to try and refine my uh, how you doing, you know, type of vibe when we get through this podcast. you got to teach me some of that, man. All right. All right. I teach you how to say so, forget about it. Forget about it. Exactly. What movie was that where there's that line? He's like, forget about it. Forget about it. And he says it like 10 times. What movie was that? Mickey Blue Eyes. That's the one, Mickey Blue Eyes. Fantastic. So, yeah. Vinny, how you been, man, through this bizarre time? It seems like we've both launched a new podcast in the midst of this madness quarantine. How's it all been for you, my man? Well, like I say on my podcast, uh, it's our only really safe means of communication right now, Zoom. And I've been doing a lot of work with my plays on Zoom and even doing some acting, te teaching some acting on Zoom. Uh, as Zoom is getting us through, but I can't wait to uh, get back on the stage or get in front of a camera again. 
Amen to that, man. But it seems to me like you're utilizing the time to the best of your ability. You're on Zoom. You're being proactive. You started the podcast. You're working on plays. You're not just sitting around doing nothing, thinking when the fuck can we get out of our house, right? No, I I, I don't I don't believe in that. I believe in um, wake up every day and take advantage uh, of the fact that you're here and do something positive. Amen to that, man. Amen to that. And on that note, whilst people are at home, I don't even know if you know this, but GQ named The Sopranos the best show to watch 2020. And the show ended, dude, in 2007. There's been this incredible surge of people binge watching the show during quarantine. Were you surprised by that, assuming you knew that that was happening? Well, myself. Uh, Michael Imperioli and Steve Sharippa uh, put together a tour and we went all over the United States and then we did seven cities in Australia and we were about to embark uh, to Great Britain to do a 15 city tour uh, and it was all sold out. So I guess uh, Sopranos is still pretty popular and uh, and now Stephen and Michael have a talking Soprano podcast uh and they're doing very well i got my pod people uh still are still interested in the show uh a lot of people i think have uh, been what binge watched it for the first time because they had the time the opportunity to sit home and actually watch it you know yep. and i yep. think a lot of people seen it for the first time yep and it's such a great show i think it's one of those shows that really has a household name i think we're all infatuated i'm a little kid from northwest london but i grew up being infatuated by gangsters in fact did you ever hear of the brothers ronnie and reggie cray those were the gangsters that ran one side of london yeah actually uh what's his name lloyd did a movie about them tom lloyd yeah there was yeah there was a, there was a couple he of movies played, about them he played well, right. tom played the both brothers tom hardy played both tom brothers hardy, in one of the movies tom hardy Right, Tom That's Hardy, absolutely sorry. right. That's right. right. But I grew right. up like infatuated. Meanwhile, I'd sleep in my mother's bed age six because I'd shit scared to be on my own. But then during the day, I thought I was a gangster. And I actually tried to get out to one of their funerals one time. That's how obsessed I was by all of that. And like the East London and then the Bronx, which leads me to... You were born and raised, man, the real deal, in the Bronx. You grew up in New Rochelle, New York, Uh what was it like to grow up there, man, as a kid? Like, just paint that picture for me, because I'm really curious. Uh, I was born in Portchester, grew up in New Rochelle, and then I moved to the Bronx. I had to, and we're going to talk about it. I had to get out of the lifestyle I was living in New Rochelle. So I moved to the Bronx uh, into a tenement where I was only paying $300 a month, and I was taking the subway into New York auditioning to try to become an actor and that was the transition from getting out of westchester into the bronx and what happened when i came to the bronx and i started to uh, audition for gangster roles i started to study these guys because they were on every corner and um i never forgot after i landed Gotti, i was walking around in the neighborhood and all the guys they loved me all the wise guys great hey, great job but when they saw me on sopranos and I played the rat. They didn't want to have nothing to do with me no more. Wow. <laughs> you fucking serious? They, really? They, they were done with you. They didn't want to talk to me. No. Shit. Just they by playing the role of the yeah, rat. They didn't like that. Uh-uh. <laughs> That's a true story. 
I was wow, loving him back at two social clubs, uh, Gigi's Club, and and uh, another. There was two clubs around a corner from when I moved. But I grew up in New Rochelle, living on top of a social club, so I knew that. You know, I used to yeah. sneak downstairs in my little cubby hall and look. I looked through a little hole in the wall, and I used to see uh, the meetings, and they were voting people in. Oh, wow. I didn't know if it was the mafia. I was like 11, 12 years old. But I know every Monday night they had a meeting and there were black balls and white balls. And then I would come home after school the next day and I go down there and clean up and I could smell the cigars go smoke and I was putting the chairs away. So they were, you know, it's, it's, it was a part of my life. Yeah. Damn, that is some real deal it, shit. I mean, I... I... I grew up having meetings with my parents about why I was getting kicked out of school. Yeah, you were sitting through peephole meetings looking at some real mob life stuff. That is uh, pretty amazing, to be honest. What did you want to be when you grew up? Did you think when you oh. saw all of that as a small kid, you wanted to be like one of those guys or that you oh, wanted to be on TV? I, I wanted to be De Niro. I wanted to be Al Pacino. I wanted to be um, Ernest Borgnine, uh, Lee J. Cobb. Yeah. I wanted to be a character actor. I knew I would never become a leading man, but I wanted to be a character actor. And, um, you know, uh, like I said, Lee J. Cobb on the waterfront, Ernest Borgnine, uh, those guys are the guys that I, I related to. Yeah. And then cool. in life, when I started working with guys like Peter Falk and Ben Gazzara, um, I said, uh, I think, I, think um, I found my life, what I really want to do. You know, you know, you do two movies with Ben Gazzara. Uh, who was uh, who was he was part of that whole Casavetti's crew, you know? But you do put two movies with Ben Gazzara, and then you work with Peter Falk. You say, "Okay, look, ma, I'm on top of the world," you know? <laughs> you know what I mean? That's amazing. That's yeah. amazing, man. We actually had Nick Casavetti's on the podcast a couple weeks back, and uh, Nick's someone I've known for like 15 years. Cool guy, know his family, and uh, it was it was great interviewing him as well. But all the movies, all the actors that you're talking about. God, man, it brings back so many great memories of watching all these movies growing up. But I'm, I'm, I'm interested because here you are, a young dude living out in the Bronx and these tough neighborhoods. You're seeing all of this stuff and then you know what you want to be. And then from there, you left high school. And if I'm not mistaken, you actually went to the Navy. Is that correct? Yeah. How yeah, did you make well, that decision? I, I, didn't, I didn't make a decision. Uh, I got in wow. trouble stealing tires. And the mm. judge said to me and the other guys who got caught, uh, you're either going to go in the uh, service or I'm sending you to jail. So uh, what happened is uh, I was able to enlist in this thing with the Navy uh, called the Kitty Cruise. So the day after I graduated from high school, I, I went in the Navy and I was in the Navy for three years and like 10 months uh, during the Vietnam era. And uh, But I was lucky, thank God, that uh, I didn't go to Vietnam. I ended up... Uh, in the med, and then I ended up working in uh, the Pentagon. I had a great job wow. in the Pentagon, so I was lucky. And then I got out, and then I went to college on the GI Bill, and I was studying acting, but I couldn't get a job for nothing. So I made, I was tending bar, and I just focused on running bars and stuff. And then I wound up owning bars, and, and uh, one day I woke up and I said, whatever happened to your dream to be an actor? And the true story is, I was just talking to a friend of mine, he was here, he said, you know what your story is the night that Matt and Kevin came to your bar? I said, yeah, because when Matt and Kevin came to my bar, I'm talking about the Dillon brothers, uh, 
uh, the, someone in the family, I believe it was the grandmother, passed away. And after the wake, they called me and they wanted to come over to the bar and hang out. And me and Maddie and Kevin were watching uh, Pope, Pope of Greenwich Village. And Maddie looked at me and says, you know, Vinny, you could do that stuff. And that yeah. was the start right there. So next thing I know, Kevin set me up uh, with an appointment with his manager. And my life started to change then with, because of those two kids. And I love them dearly. And I was with Kevin in, in uh, Saudi Arabia with a comic fest. And Kevin was like telling everybody, uh, oh, I, I, I discovered Vinny. I discovered Vinny. And I said, yeah, okay, Kevin. All right, whatever. It's amazing to hear because you're answering so much stuff I, I, I wanted to talk about. You know, I think as interesting as it is growing up in these tough neighborhoods, going to the Navy, becoming an actor, I think – being in the club business like you were for like, I think, 30 years, I'd read, running these discos and owning rock and roll bars. There's got to be some equally crazy stories there as there is working in Hollywood, right? Like, what was it like for you running clubs back then? Yeah, well, because my father was well-liked, nobody yeah. came into my club when I was running the rock, a crazy horse to try to shake me down. In fact, one time they did. And I said, you know, who my father is. And so I was kind of protected from that, but they did come in the gangsters. They did come in the bikers. They all came in. And the big thing that was going on back then is that everybody was dealing Coke and, um, in the discos studio 54, all the, all the big uh, discos, in the New York area, uh, somebody was looking the wrong way. But when you walk into a club, you got an occupancy of 150 people and, and there's some drug dealings going on. Uh, you're, you're looking for trouble. So that was the, 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 that was the thin line I kept uh, going on. I wanted to deal with rock and roll, but I didn't want to deal with what came with rock and roll. You know, and it was tough. I remember kicking Steven Tyler out one night. I said, get the hell out of here. <laughs> could you could was, you own a club without dealing with the other side of things? I mean, I don't even think today you can own a club without having to kind of keep people happy on the other side of things. Were you able to do that back then? No. What happened, I wind up uh, giving in. Right. And I just wind up uh, letting it be like uh, the OK Corral. I let everybody do what they want, which was my downfall. Because you, because you turn around and, and everybody and their mother is dealing drugs in the joint and you can't pay your bills. So that was my downfall by giving in, you know, right. um, instead of saying, no, no, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do that. And um, but I had my wake up call and my wake up call was, hey, all of a sudden you don't have a car. All of a sudden uh, you're living in a basement apartment. All of a sudden you have no money. Uh, what are you going to do next with your life? Um, I started thinking about going after acting and, uh, you know, I took some classes and I went on auditions, but, I, but I got lucky because my first, um, out of the gate movie, uh, was a pretty a hit. It was called true love with Annabella Sciarra directed by Nancy Savoca. And I ate the tour was in it as well. And that movie won Sundance. So here's the, my, my first movie out of the gate. And then Ellen Lewis, who was cast in Goodfellas, called me and she said, I saw you in True Love. Listen, I'm not going to give you a big movie, but you're going to work with Marty. And that's how things started to move along. 
I just yeah. love it, man. It's, yeah. it's amazing. It's amazing to hear. And everything you just explained is why I do this podcast, Vinny, because yeah. when I was sitting in the height of quarantine, I kept thinking to myself, God, there must be so many people out there right now struggling, thinking that I'm less than or I can't get to be like this person or that person. And it's amazing to hear how you went from being in the club to dealing with the dark side and all of those things. And then just believing in and having the Dillian brothers come in and one thing leading to another and boom, here you are uh, having been in so many great movies, a hit TV show uh, and so many other things. But I do want to know this, and this is one of my key questions to every segment, which is looking back today, what was the most chaotic time or moment in your life that you were able to transform into a positive experience? It's probably, um, and I'll say it very openly now, it's probably losing my wife, you know, because she left me because of my lifestyle. Mm. And then years later, when I'm on The Sopranos and I'm bringing my daughter to the premieres and I start even bringing uh, my daughter's uh, stepbrother, um, I think she started to realize that I just never went after my dream because, uh, you know, I was trying to uh, juggle acting, running a business, you know, and then I got divorced and then I said, well, I don't give a damn. And I went into the club business and I put my energy into that, but I didn't have anybody to go home to. And I kind of been recollecting, uh, especially during the, the downtime we had the pandemic, that what what we what we lost mm -hmm. and um i uh, susan stroman when we were doing bullets over broadway she was talking to the cast and she announced we were closing and she said you guys chose this life this is the life you chose you're going to give up so much but this is the life you chose so you'll get another job and you'll move on blah 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 but this is wow. what you chose and and that's what you know, this is what entertainment mm -hmm. is. You're up, mm -hmm. you're down, you're working, you're not working, you, you got money coming in, you got 20 million friends, you got no friends. Yeah, and that's, that's this business. Yeah. Yep. It is a crazy world because it's up and down when you're hot, you're hot, and when you're not, you're not, right? Yeah. And so yeah. it's how to juggle and maintain that. And whenever anybody asks me about getting into the industry or into a specific sector, whatever it might be, whether it's sales or acting or modeling or anything. Not that I know how to model, but any sector, I always try and disqualify people. Here's all the reasons you don't want to get into the business because people always gravitate to all of the good shit and all the fun stuff and all of the glamour and the glitz, but they very rarely sit back and think about when it's not that way, how are they going to cope, manage and get through those times? So I always disqualify people and if they still think it's for them, then great, go for it and, and, and follow your dream. Onto that subject, you know, and I know it's not all glitz and glam and everything isn't always amazing, but how did your life change after you got the role in Sopranos? Not just uh, professionally, but personally. Did everything just start to change? Opportunities came or were you focused there? Like, I'm just curious how things sort of evolved after that time. First thing I did is I bought a new car. <laughs> yeah. And then eventually I bought a house. Beautiful. And um, I started to focus more and more on 
my craft, you know. Uh, I teach in a school where I was taught. I teach at HB Studios on Bank Street. I mean, the school's closed now, but I went back to teach. And I'll tell you who got me the job. Uh, Drea DiMatteo's mother, Donna DiMatteo. She she's a she teaches uh, playwriting. Mm-hmm. And she got me down there to give a lecture. And then they asked me if I wanted to start teaching down there. And here's what I say to my students. You can't be a part-time actor you gotta either you're in it or you're not in it but to say okay i'm gonna do my job and then when i come home i'm gonna do like a little community theater now okay that's fine if that's what makes you happy but if you want to be a professional actor you got to get into unions you got to get into sag you got to get into equity you got to start um working on major mm-hmm. projects like i talked to you about Upgrades. I worked. I was working on Carlito's Way with Al Pacino, and and yeah, and there's a scene where I thought I can get a line in, and uh, it was at the Copa, and I ran across the dance floor by myself, and I said to Sean, "Who are you calling a guinea?" And Brian De Palma freaked out. Who told him to do that? And then Al said, "But it works." So then Brian said, "Well, let them all get up." And we all, and if you see the movie, we all charged across the dance floor. And that's the, that, I'm going to say it, those are the balls I had back then. You know, I was taking chances. I used to do, I did it on It Could Happen to You. Uh, I didn't have to do it with De Niro because he would let me. He would let me. Uh, he came up to me in Awakenings and he and Penny, and they said, because uh, I was doing extra work, and they said, we're going to give you a contract. Uh, I just felt that it was in a time and place where people were paying attention to my work. I was hungry. I was studying with Tommy Waits. I was studying at HB Studios. You know, I was sacrificing, taking the subway, uh, tried drive a limousine in between. One night I parked my limousine. I was walking up the hill, going back to my house, and I was doing a monologue. It was about 2 o'clock in the morning. These people pulled over, and they wanted to take me to the hospital. They thought I was crazy. <laughs> I love it, man. you got to grow a big pair of balls if you're going to go from here to up here. That is a... Uh... And, and that's the truth, right? If you're going to get from one next level to the next, grow a pair of balls. And fear is what stops so many people. And I think you probably just had that drive and passion and you didn't care and you were going to go for it and it got you where you needed to be, right? I'm working with Woody uh, uh, on a, the movie with Mirror Savino and I'm doing extra work. And uh, the PA come up and he says, uh, take off the jacket. I said, well, this is a match from yesterday. I had the jacket on. He says, well, we don't know if they're going to use that yesterday. So listen, I had it on yesterday. I'm wearing it today. He says, that if you don't take off the jacket, we're going to send you home. I said, you don't have to send me home. I'm leaving. I never did extra work again after that. I'm auditioning for Woody Allen for a Broadway play, Bullets Over Broadway. And he said, Vanny, do I know you? I said, well, I was in a lot of your movies. He said, what parts? I said, I did a lot of extra work. Well, I, don't know. I said, I did a lot of extra work, Woody, but I don't do extra work anymore. <laughs> Love that, man. Brilliant. And, he gave, and then he said, where'd you learn how to sing? I said, uh, on The Sopranos. It, it, it's just, uh, and then that was an experience because you're doing a Broadway show. You're doing a character you created yourself. Nobody's done it before. You're working with Woody Allen, Susan Stroman, you know. Uh, uh, God bless Nick Cadero, who I met on the set, who we lost uh, from, from COVID. 
Um, uh. the, you know, when you get to Broadway and you look at thirteen to fifteen hundred people a night in, in in their seats, and they're watching every move you made. I remember one night I was doing Chicago with Aida, and I went up on my song "Cellophane Man," and I started making words up, and I came off stage, and um, the guy who taught me dance, he said, "What the f was that?" And I said, well, I forgot my words. He says, well, at least he didn't walk off the stage like Usher. He's telling me Usher panicked and walked off the stage. I said, nah, I'm never going to walk off a stage. Uh, but these are all fun stories, you know. You're cut from a different cloth, man. That's amazing. What a great story. Thank you for sharing. And, you know, working in Hollywood, whether it's in uh, Broadway or, or in front of the camera on a scripted show, you must have learned a lot of lessons in your time from being in Hollywood, so to speak, right? Are there any lessons that you would say to one that's coming into this world, out there auditioning, or is there one important lesson that you've learned from your time being in Hollywood? Well, the Hollywood actor and the New York actor are uh, two different breeds. Very much um, so. Two different breeds. And the New York actor is more street and, you know, coming out of one of the five boroughs. You know, they can nail these characters down where if you get uh, a Hollywood actor who's never even been to New York, uh, it, to me, it don't cut it. You know, um, that's why I, I really believe that David Chase was so he had this vision because originally Fox was going to pick it up and they wanted him to shoot it in Hollywood. And he said, no, I'm shooting this in Jersey. And he held out until HBO said, you got, yeah, you guys can do it in Jersey because could you imagine uh, Sopranos being shot on a lot? Like, you know, you know, I love Clint Eastwood. I love his work, but when he directed uh, Jersey boys, he took it away from Jan Favreau, who was going to shoot Jersey Boys on location. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was going to play Gip. John gave me the role. But then mm-hmm. Clint Eastwood took it over. Uh, and it was Warner Brothers. It was shot on the lot. And it looked like singing in the rain. <laughs> you know what I mean? I think you're absolutely right, man. You couldn't have exactly shot The Sopranos uh, going down Rodeo Drive. I don't think it would have really worked. It had to be authentic to the show. Right, 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 right. 100%. And and David was smart. HBO was smart because they really didn't grab a big-name actor to cover the show. They they got Gandolfini, who was uh, a wonderful up-and-coming co-star, on many, many movies, True Romance, Crimson Tide, um, and they grabbed Jimmy, and Jimmy just took that role in, and what Jimmy did is he created a family on the set, you know? Mm. If he got a raise, we got a raise. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You know, if, if, if something was going on with his career, he makes sure he, he shared it. And on the set, uh, if I did, like, the scene when I'm sitting in a chair and he comes to visit me and I said, he says, how's your back? I says, I'm popping juju beads and stuff. He kept asking me, do you want another take? I said, why? What am I doing wrong? He says, ah, Vinny, you're not giving what you should be given. What's going on? I says, well, this isn't my show. And he says, it's our show. And there then he turned go. to David. He said, give Vinny another take. 
And then by the time we got to the second season, that last scene, um, uh, I ran it once, and then David said, do it one more time. And they printed the second take. And, and, and David wasn't given anybody more than one take. But Jimmy pushed that. You got to, you, you know, we're only warming up on the first take. You know, you got to, you got to do the second take. You know, yeah, it's I like it. me last week. Last week I'm doing Zoom with my uh, actors from HB Studio. We're doing, we're doing a prologue from Key Largo. And I said, okay, that was a great rehearsal. Now let's go for it. And then after we went for it, I says, I think I need another one. And I wind up using the third take. There you go. You, you push and push you know. and push until you get what you got and get what you need, right? Right. Right, right. And, and I learned and, that. And, from... and would you say, like, with the East Coasters, and you said this, you know, bringing a West Coaster to play an East Coast role or a New York role, it's acting or it's a character. But wouldn't you think, like, a New York role for a New Yorker or an East Coaster, you're not even a character. You're kind of yourself falling into a character, but you're not trying too hard. You're kind of, it is somewhat organic to who you are in some of your roles. Not saying that you're part of the mob, but in, in a lot of your roles, it's somewhat organic for you, right? It's very organic. It, it, it's um, actually uh, my family on my mother's side, which were from Harrison, New York. Uh, and my father was from the Bronx, Arthur Avenue. My family kept saying, my mother's side, what do you keep playing gangsters for? What do you keep playing gangsters for? I said, well, that's what they're giving me. Oh, well, you're making us look bad. You're making us look bad. I'm making you look bad. I'm on the hottest show in television history. What do you mean I'm making you look bad? And, 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 and you know, um, they didn't get it. They didn't get it at first because uh, they didn't know it was going to be as big as it became. Oh, now they're all my fans and they love me. And Uncle Vinny, can you send me some pictures and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, they don't care if I shot a million people on television, you know. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, now I have my granddaughter growing up and she's just starting to watch. Uh, she's not watching Sopranos. The mother won't let her watch that. But she watches Shark Tale and Pair of Kings and all the animated stuff. I did, and, and my granddaughter Maya says to me, how'd you put your voice into uh, the octopus, Grandpa? Uh, <laughs> how'd you do this? How'd you do that? And uh, so she's kind of curious. And um, also, uh, funny stuff, like I would go to the zoo with my granddaughter in Washington, and somebody yells out, big pussy, big pussy. <laughs> and she says, how? Huh? I said, they're looking for the lions. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. There's got to be so many lines where people have come up to you and say, big pussy in the oh. wrong time and the wrong place. <laughs> I yeah. have to imagine that happens quite yeah. often. They don't, that is they don't stop. And I don't, they don't stop. It's like if you if, if Gandolfini was walking down the street and somebody yelled out Tony, he wouldn't turn his head. No. He don't, he don't want to turn his head to Tony. His yeah. name is Jimmy Gandolfini. I a lot of times I was not acknowledging when people say, "Hey, big pussy," "Hey, big pussy." Then I realized, but they don't know my real name, so I might as well be nice and say hello. Yeah, absolutely, man. Better than that, you. Yeah, hundred percent. Otherwise, they're gonna say I ran into the guy. He's a creep. You yeah. know. <laughs> and with a name like Big Pussy, you definitely don't want to be a creep. <laughs> oh, they would go really places. But, you know, uh, and you'll appreciate this. Uh, one of my fondest memories in this business is I was working in L.A. on the practice with David Kelly and Sean John, uh, Pete Diddy, 
put me uh, in a clothing line ad, and he put this picture of me smoking a cigar, wearing his Sean John sweatsuit on the side wall of the Hilton Hotel going down Sunset Boulevard. I was bigger than King Kong. So what happened after the, it went up, about a day after it went up, I got a call from my agent. He said, Guy Ritchie wants to see you. I said, Guy Ritchie? Yeah, he lives in L.A. with Madonna. I said, I, I know Madonna. Well, they want to see you. Could you go over to the house? When? When's the next day off? Tomorrow. He said, okay. So I go up the driveway on Sunset Boulevard, and I know Guy's right. waiting yep. for me, right? And I go up, and I go in, and, and, I, and Guy says to me, did you read the script, Revolve? I said, yeah, I read it about three times. He said, do you understand it? I said, I understand some of it. You know, I understand some of it. He said, wow, I was driving down Sunset Boulevard and I saw you on the wall and I said, uh, that's my guy. So you got the part. I said, OK. And then and, the, and, and then I went to London and then at the opening night in London, my date was Mickey Rourke and I met Sting and I met, you know, I met all these wonderful people. And, and then I met Luke and I and I worked for Luke Passan because he, he produced uh, um uh, Guy Ritchie movies, and then Luke brought me out to France uh, a couple of years ago to work with De Niro and the family. Uh, so these guys don't forget you, and they're, and they're good people, man. Like Luke gave me a couple of decent jobs, and even Guy Ritchie, uh, you know, I stay in touch with these people, and and they really helped my career out a lot. I, so it wasn't, it say, wasn't just the Sopranos, right? Of you know course, what I mean? there was many, 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 many years of many memories, parts, and God, you've done great. I could sit and grill you for the next nine hours and just, I'm intrigued by every single one of these stories. If I could have it my way, I'd like go into London for the next hour and what that scene was like with Guy Ritchie and this and that. Oh. I mean, you got stories, Vinny, I know that. Is there is there one actor that you could say over your career that you've just loved collaborating with is there a number one that you'd want to collaborate with that you haven't so done so yet well the one actor that i worked with and uh i loved working with him whenever i chance uh, again it's armand asante um uh who was always one of my favorite actors and he played the Gotti uh version on hbo and uh, a, a lot of us went from that movie right to sopranos dominic Tony Sirico, myself, Frankie Pellegrino, Frank Vincent. Uh, Armand was the sweetheart. You talk about, you know, we're going to do the method, man. He said, yeah, Vin, he's got the part, but he's got to come live with me in Toronto a week before we shoot. I got to get to know this guy. Um, who I would like to, uh, I, I really wish, and I worked with Bobby, not, not any big stuff, but a lot of small stuff. I would really love to work with Al Pacino. Yeah, God. I, I sat next to Al Pacino only about a month ago at the Beverly Hills Hotel, man. Let me tell you, that guy has a presence. And I'm, I'm sitting there and he's wearing his glasses and I'm like, fuck, that guy's looking at me. It's Al Pacino, he's looking at me. And then I stopped and thought, shit, I'm staring at him. That's the only reason he's looking at me. I better stop staring at him. But that guy just has the most incredible presence about him. There's something just, I mean, the guy is amazing, right? Did you say hello? I didn't. No, he was in a meeting. I didn't want to bother him. We've, but we've crossed paths many, many times in LA. But there's just a great presence to that guy. 
There really is. Maybe he'll do your podcast. Why not? Who the yeah. hell knows? And let me ask you, what's your favorite Al Pacino movie? Uh, my favorite Al Pacino movie is Scarface. Oh, literally. The best movie. One of my favorites. And he had a lot of controversy when he did that because they said, how could he play, uh, you know, uh, a Cuban? And But he That's pulled right. it off. Yeah, you he know? beyond Him pulled it off. Power. Whoa, Scarface. Yep. Hoo-ha. Yes, I got it. I could actually give you some good lines. I think you'd be impressed with that. But I won't. I'll save face and we'll keep it for the end. Vinny, let me ask you this. Again, I want to be mindful of your time. What comes to mind as the moment where everything just changed in life for you? I mean, there's got to be a turning point or a moment where everything just... There was this turning point. What was it, man? I, 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 I was thinking about that today. I think it's when we got the Screen Actors Guild Award in L.A., you know. I mean, we were on top, man. We were there. We were sitting. Warren Beatty and Annette Bening were sitting in the front row when me and Sirico went up with Jimmy to do a skit. And, uh, you know, we were on top, top of the game. Uh, I went to the bathroom during a break, and I, and I run into Joaquin Phoenix because he was up for a uh, supporting actor for Gladiator that year. Um, that, that's what I was hanging out with Benicio del Toro. Sean Penn was coming around a lot because uh, he and Jimmy were real good friends, and Jimmy was close mm -hmm. with his father. Uh, we just was, you know, the, it's just people wanted to meet us. They just wanted to meet us. You know, they wanted to come. We were staying at the Peninsula. The HBO really took care of us. They wanted to meet us. And um, and then I started, and because I was like the, one of the first principals not to be on the show anymore. Everybody says, okay, there goes Vinny's career. But the total opposite, because the the year I was off The Sopranos, that was the first time I ever went to Hollywood, you know, uh, to act. I hopped on a plane, mm -hmm. I went out and did a movie with uh, uh, Jimmy Franco, Deuces Wild, you know, and uh, he had a small part, and I, and I did that, and then I started moving around. Um, I really think it's when I got that Screen Actors Guild Award. I said, look at this. You got yourself that's a proud, uh, that's a proud, proud achievement, man. That's a that's yeah. a hell of a moment where you start to reflect on where you came from, where you got to, and, and and sort of where you're heading. I can only imagine that feeling must have been just quite amazing, actually. Well, so it, it is incredible. It's kind of it's kind of deja vu in a sense where um, Ozzy and Ozzy and Ruby Davis uh, lived in Rochelle, and their son Guy Davis used to play folk music in my bar. And their son-in-law, Abdul Wali, had a band called Synergy. And it was all black band. And they used to play, like, in my bar all the time. And I used to hear a lot of slack. Well, you're going to bring a lot of black people. I said, so what? You know? Mm -hmm. uh, I, I, I had this really, really cool integrated bar uh, with the musicians and the audience. And, and um, we were walking down the red carpet for the SAG Awards. And who's in front of me? Uh, Ozzy and Ruby and what Abdul turned around and said, Vinny, what are you doing here? I says, I'm on the Sopranos. And Ozzy turned to uh, Abdul and says, you don't know Vinny's on the Sopranos. He plays big pussy. <laughs> that was a good moment for you right there. No, you don't know Vinny's on the He plays big pussy. Yeah, that's a good yeah. that's a good feeling, man. Yeah. So before before we get on, how do I say forget about it? Like, like, is there a, is there a science to how one says forget about it? 
Not the way you just did it. I, I can assure you a little kid from London is going to take a little bit of help. I mean, is there a forget about it? Yes. Do that. Do it that way. Forget about it. Forget about it. I, the second one's okay, but I like the first one. Try the first one again. Forget about it. Forget, forget about it. Go like this. Forget about it. Throw it away. For, forget about it. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Forget about it. That's not bad. Fuck yeah. Forget like about Ritchie? it. Do you like, do you like Guy Ritchie movies? I do. I like. Hello, I'm from London. I love a good Guy Ritchie movie. Did you see the last one where he did with Matthew McConaughey, The Gentleman? I oh, loved it. I Killer. I watched that over and over again. Killer movie. Killer, killer, killer <laughs> movie. The guy is a genius. Amazing. Guy's a genius. God, Amazing. I could try and do so many. Say hello to my little friend, Frankie. No, I'm going to stop. All right, we're going to stop. We're going to stop. So let me ask you this. Can you do that one? Say hello to my little friend. Uh, <laughs> no, I, 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 I got something for you. First I was out, and they pulled me back in. Which, which one was that from? First God I was out, then they pulled me back in. There yeah. you go. Very so good. First I was out and they pulled me first. And Stephen of Anzant does that so well. I love he it. He likes to imitate that stuff, you know. Everybody likes to yeah. do that stuff. Thank yeah. God I don't need to imitate because I would be just fired day one. Anyway, so let me ask you this. All this madness in your life, ups, downs, success, curves. What in your positively chaotic life are you most proud of today? And I know it's many obvious things we've spoken about today, but is there something here that really speaks to mind for you? Yeah, my, my daughter and my relationship with my daughter like and that. the fact that we're, we're a unit and because of my granddaughter, uh, my, my, my ex-wife, her grandmother and I, uh, whenever we're around with the kids, we we just showed positive, you know, like the, we, there's no animosity. I remember um, we took um, my daughter's uh, father out for dinner uh, a couple of years ago before he passed away. And he's sitting next to me and he was talking to me. And I looked over to Nancy. I says, you don't remember what happened with me and you? He says, he's got Alzheimer's. He forgot. I says, oh, OK, good. <laughs> Thank God for that. <laughs> well, I'm happy to hear that, man. There's nothing more important, and I'm a father of two girls, than having a strong bond with your with your kids. I come from a really rough, divorced family. My mum and dad divorced when I was one, and I always said, you know, and I'm happily married, but if I ever did, you know, I would never, and I urge anyone out there to never make it a rough ride for the kids because I know how hard that was growing up. And no one deserves that. And so, you know, if you do get divorced, it's so important to keep that bond strong and tight. Yeah. And to put the icing on the cake, I, I think the turning point in my life is when I made a decision to get out of that nightclub business. I said, I'm not going to make it. In yeah. fact, years later, I did a play on uh, Off-Broadway called Lamppost Reunion, which was written by Louis LaRusso. And it was done in the early, uh, late 70s with Danny Aiello. And, uh, and I put that play up and I produced it with my group. And, and I said, this guy, this guy working behind a bar in a lonely 
shot beer joint, uh, joint at 2 o'clock in the morning to Hoboken. What if I didn't become an actor? What if I didn't break through? This is who I would yeah. end up being. You know? So, Good. Yeah. you know, when you look back, you know. And, and, and the best tool, an actor, um, an entertainer, a singer uh, could use is to draw uh, experiences from within. And you don't have to mm-hmm. tell anybody what you're working on, you know. That's it's right. like right. uh, people say to me, oh, uh, how did you cry in that scene on the toilet bowl? I says, I thought about the worst thing that ever happened in my life. You yeah. know, and yeah. you start yeah. crying and you start crying. All of a sudden, David says, cut, move on, you know. And <laughs> God, just be like, All right, fine. I'm fine. I'm it's okay. It's crying okay. like a baby. That's it. Move on. Let's go to the next <laughs> shot. You know, <laughs> whatever he did, it worked, you know. And oh, uh, that's mad. what it's all about, you know. It's but mad. I'm glad you enabled. That's a nice spot because they said to me when I go out to L.A., if I want to do my podcast from that room, I could use it. So um, don't book up the space too much. I mean, I may need some room <laughs> out there. <laughs> I look forward to going to Mulberry Pizza and getting a slice when you're next in uh, Los Angeles, Vinny. It's been uh, such a pleasure talking. The time has really come, unfortunately, because I could talk to you for seven hours here to wrap things up. At the end of every single episode, we close things out with a little segment called Chaotic Questions with James. Vinny, are you ready? Yeah, yeah, why not? Amazing. What are you currently learning? What am I learning? Uh, I'm trying to learn how to sing better because I got a Beautiful. band. I have Love a rock that. and roll band. Yeah. And we're, we're starting Love to that. get more and more in demand. So, you know, like we're I doing the Wonder that. Bar at Asbury, uh, Saturday, November 14th. Hey, I, I, I can't go up there and fall on my face. I got to know what I'm doing. So I'm starting, right. to sing, starting to sing again. Um, what Next question. What motivates you today? cup of coffee beautiful cup of coffee see even that i'd love to say right okay and what piece of advice would you give your younger self oh life goes by so fast you better appreciate it when you got it i can't believe i'm 74 years old and at one time i was 24 years old 34 years old i mean uh, people say to me, oh, you're 74? You don't look 74. I said, well, I'm beginning to feel like I'm 74. But if I could take a pill and go back to a certain time of my life again, I'd like to go back to um, probably when I was a teenager. You know? It, man. Those were great. You don't know what it was like growing up in the 60s. All that great oh. rock and roll, you know. Uh, I can no, only imagine no. it was a lot You're of fun. 18 years old, you could drink in a bar, 18. Um, and then I joined the Navy. I'm, you know, uh, all of a sudden, boom, I'm traveling around the world. But I, I, if I could go back, I'd like to be able to be maybe 16 or 17 again and see if I could start all over from there. But Well, my man, okay. you look fantastic, age 74. And uh, I cannot begin to thank you enough for being a guest on the podcast where can people follow you and stay up to date with what you're up to Vinny? well my podcast forget about is uh Stuart media and um you can see it on spotify apple youtube i also have my theater company with maureen and stevie van zandt and we're starting to post a lot of things on social media 
you could see me live in person at the Wonder Bar, but I think it's sold out because of the social distancing thing. I don't know. Maybe next time you see me, I'll be hanging out with you in L.A. I, I was love supposed that, to man. Go out, I was supposed to go to San Jose and do a movie with Mickey Rourke and Michael Madsen. Oh, man. And it was all about the Bonanno crime family. And because of what happened, boom. Then I'm supposed to go to L.A. and do this uh, movie at Pilot called Scarlet, you know. Uh, we were going to start in December. Boom. So I got these jobs waiting for me, you know, to go do, you know. Oh, man. It's a crazy, crazy time, but we're going to get through this. Vinny is going to be out here, and I cannot wait to actually get to meet you face-to-face and hang out, man. You are a joy to talk to. I really can't thank you enough for being a guest on the podcast. It means the world. You guys can follow me at JamesBondST. To everybody watching, hit that subscribe button on YouTube. If you're listening, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Subscribe and listen anywhere you get your podcasts. Tell your friends, your neighbors, and anyone who would enjoy the Positively Chaotic podcast. Vinny, thank you, and thank you, everybody, for listening. God bless you.